There is truth. You can know it, live it, and be liberated by it. I'm Audrey Rinlisbacher. Thank you for joining me on this podcast where we explore how the truth can set you free. All right, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I've got uh, Lindsay Wright and Kim Miner with me. We're going to discuss A Doll's House by Henrik Ibsen. And um, if you'll head over to YouTube, I've got a couple of resources there for you. There's a thorough um, kind of overview and summary of the play, plus some of my own personal takeaways. There's also um, an author bio, and it goes into some some detail about his his background, his time period, all of those things. I will just give you um, a couple basic things that you might want to know. It seems in our day to be uh, maybe kind of obscure, but it is considered a classic. And one of the things that's important to know is that many people who talk about the history of theater put Ibsen pretty much right next to Shakespeare in terms of uh, greatness, that his ideas are profound, um, that he's had huge influence, um, all of those kinds of things. He's just considered one of the one of the greatest playwrights of all time. Uh, he was from Norway, lived in the 1800s, wanted to be a playwright from the time he was a teenager, had uh, received a pretty good education, had some important connections. Um, and his plays really resonated with the people of his time. So they were popular immediately and spread quickly. And so they've been in print and been performed ever since his lifetime. And A Doll's House, uh, there's a couple others. It's considered one of his best, if not his best, most important play. So that's kind of a backdrop of this particular play. You can watch it. There's like versions of it up on YouTube. Uh, I don't know. I didn't actually do my homework to see if there's like some decent movies of it. I know there's one from like, I think the 60s or 70s that was done with someone I, I famous that you from would know. 1973. It's got Jane Fonda in it. Jane Fonda, that's who it was. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And of then there's course. another, there's a newer one, 2012, that, that I haven't watched, but I, I oh, want to watch. Oh, so. yeah. Okay. Well, then it's one of those things like Shakespeare, just people just keep redoing them, just keep showing back up in the culture. <laughs> um, so we, there's a lot that we can talk about, a lot that we can get to. Kim asked a question right before we came on camera. She asked me how, why, what'd you say? Why I picked it up or why I first read it? Yeah, initially why you first read it, like what led you to it? So actually I went to a Shakespeare festival and they had like these, they had of course a, uh, like a shop where you could buy stuff and they had these banners up and like posters, like highlighting important playwrights and and Ibsen was one of the few that they had up there. And I was like, who is Henrik Ibsen? Why is his poster in this? And then I looked around and sure enough, they're like, they had several books, you know, several of his plays there for sale and everything. And, and it wasn't a large shop and there weren't a lot of playwrights on the walls. And so the fact that he was there uh, just made a big impression on me. And you could almost say that what Oscar Wilde did for modern theater in comedy, Ibsen did for modern theater in drama kind of mm. that kind of thing mm-hmm. and and so that's and so I just started doing I just like I just wanted to get to know who this guy is and did some research and everyone was recommending this one so I just started here picked it up awesome. and, read it and I was like it seemed decently benign 
about 80% through and then it just went crazy. So I was like, <laughs> oh, wow, this is what's happening. Okay. <laughs> Did not realize what was going to happen. Um, I do want to, I've got my Jack bars in here with my Dawn to Decadence. And I just wanted to make one um, point as we jump off here, because obviously this play is about the theme of individualism. And um, I thought we could talk about characters to start out, but in his big mammoth work from Dawn to Decadence, which is a history of the West from 1500 to present, he he the way he's the way Barzin has chosen to written, write this work is in the in terms of the great ideas and um, how those ideas have been triumphed by the West. And what he says is that the universal uh, says uh, probably the most important idea that has been championed by the West is what he calls emancipation. Emancipation is one of the cultural themes of the era, perhaps the most characteristic of all. And of course, it requires more and more limitations in order to prevent my right from infringing on yours. So this idea of emancipation and Ibsen's role in pushing that idea forward culturally in the West is, I think, um, an important theme that we'll, that we'll keep working on and and what are the principles of that or the broken principles? We'll be spending some time on that study skill of um, how can you work backwards in this play? Like what is everybody doing wrong that you want to fix? Um, that's a model of finding principles is to try to fix the broken stuff. So, but let's start out just by talking about the first part of the play, um, who we meet and what your impression of them is early on in the story. And we can just start with Nora. Let's just try to describe the kind of woman, uh, mother, wife that Nora is, what you saw in her behavior, in her language, in her character. Let's talk about Nora for a minute. Did I mean, you like her? Did you dislike her? <laughs> she seemed like a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I mean, she's she plays with the kids and she mm -hmm. enjoys sweets and, you know, but there's not a lot of depth mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to her for sure. Yeah, it felt it felt pretty superficial. She was but she, you know, it seems like she was engaged in her household and and with her kids and with her husband and trying to, you know, make it nice and please people and, you know but it was all kind of surface and yeah. yeah. Women don't know anything about people pleasing. That's <laughs> not something we struggle in. Yeah. Unfortunately, but she seems to generally like this is she's living her dream, right? Yeah. <laughs> I do. Yeah. And it changes at the end, but um... she says over and over again, how happy she is, mm -hmm. how wonderful life is. She has a devoted husband with a great job and they're about to come into all this money and it's Christmas time and the kids are happy and healthy and she's just been shopping and just seems mm -hmm. kind of on top of the world. Mm -hmm. But she, but she also does hint that, you know, things like the money will make everything better, right? Like That's she's true. like really stuck on this idea of the money and how all of a sudden their lives are going to be so much better, but it, it does seem like they already have a good life, even though they've had to struggle a little bit and scrimp and yeah. save and things like that. She implies, right. Yeah. But this money is just going to change everything. It feels like she's just this anticipation of the money. 
Yeah. It's going to em- emancipate her. Right. Well, that, and I think that I, so it's a hint of, of something there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hint of problems to come. Mm-hmm. One of the things I noticed early on um, about, and I don't know if I noticed this before, I didn't talk about it in my other like review of it, but uh, this interaction between Nora and Helmer, I guess his last name is, mm-hmm. name is Thor, Thorvald, but uh, I finally, I noticed it so much that I just started circling it, the word little, 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 <laughs> little, little, little. I mean, mm-hmm. he can't address her without using the word little. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. Little lark, little squirrel, little spendthrift, mm-hmm. little Skylark. featherhead. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. condescending. I did yes. not like him. Why? I I just felt like he, you know, and we're already into broken principles. He didn't like, he didn't see her as a person. He saw her as an object, a little, a little animal mm-hmm. that he can take care of. And um, I don't know. I, I just, I didn't like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anything else about Nora that you noticed? It's interesting because obviously there's, you find out really early on that she's made this huge sacrifice for her husband and she did it because she loves him. And there's, there's, there's noble ideas here. There's, you know, she's trying to be a person of character and she's trying to do the right thing and she's trying to care for hers. But the way that she talks to her friends was really fascinating to me because it wasn't until I got about halfway through that I was like, wait a minute, she's lying again. Yeah. So I went back and I was like, what are all the times when she lied? And I realized she's a chronic liar. (laughs) She lies to everybody. About all kinds of, I mean, it starts at the very beginning when she lies to her husband about eating the nuts he doesn't want her to eat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Hides them in her pocket. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and when her friend, I mean, it's so, it was kind of sad to me because I was like, okay, well, that's great. You did that for your husband, but you're kind of treating your friend like, in a, like one of the things that I feel like Ibsen wants to do is make her very relatable. Like she's a whole person. She's got mm-hmm. good parts and bad parts. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe she's a chronic liar and a pleaser, but she does grand things and makes sacrifices for people and she cares about her children. So like, I think he's trying to make her a whole person, which I can totally respect. But her friend comes in, in this really broken down state and Nora has already let us know that she's on top of the world. She's super happy. Life is great. And her friend, I think she says, I only feel my life unspeakably empty. (laughs) And I'm, you know, it makes you so bitter, no one to work for. And you become so selfish. And so here's her friend all broken down saying, you know, life has been so hard. And like, she doesn't, she won't even listen to her. It's just, I was like, 
what you know they they barely interact and then she just does this oh my life is so great you know uh this is great and this is great until finally she's like okay well what's going on with you tell me how hard your life is <laughs> so i just i don't know i just feel like she was a little cow i can't remember exactly how it went but i just remember feeling like this is a little callous of you this is a little insensitive there's a there's a lack of depth and you know she's oh i'm when i heard your husband died i, I meant to write a letter but i just never got around to it yeah <laughs> and they're supposed to be like best friends and she's been through all these hard times and and then you know and and there's also like this it's almost competitive like oh you think you've done hard stuff yeah i'll tell you the hard stuff i've done yeah. you know even though clearly her she's far better off and her life is far better than her friends in some very concrete ways you know she has a husband who's stuck around and who's alive and who's providing mm -hmm. for her and you know children who love her and like to play with her and anyway yeah it's, it seems like she doesn't have relationships to know how to like she's never learned how to appropriately act in relationships oh wow I mean, you see you see that all kind of through right like yeah. even these so-called friends that it's still um there's no real compassion there there's no real understanding of her friend's pain yeah and she may and because she implies some stuff with her father right that he just treated her in a certain way and that she never maybe learned to have appropriate relationships where there's like, like you said, keep saying Lindsay depth and compassion and the, a give and take in a relationship rather than her friend coming in totally broken. And she's like, well, look at my life, you know, like, and just talks about herself. Right. Yeah. She mentions at some point towards the end um, when she's talking with her husband that, you know, like my father, when I lived with my father, I just had his opinions and now I live with you and I have your opinions. Like she's never had, mm -hmm. you know, a, a thought of her own. And so mm -hmm. it does, it makes her, it makes her very shallow. So my, my question is, I guess, do we, uh, the idea that, um, you know, it even says on the back of the book here that this is some great uh, feminist advocates of women's rights kind of play. Right. So, is it society's fault that she's this way or is it just her raise being raised in a certain way that that has caused her to operate how she does that like how do we see question, <laughs> yeah like how do we see that right because it seems like those who are reading the play and hailing it as so great they're seeing it as it's because society excuse me that she's the way that she is mm -hmm. but it's more complex than that so i yeah, don't know I, I think that's a as a that's a major question that we've been that we as a society has have been struggling with for a long time mm -hmm. <laughs> right? like are it, are things socially constructed is there a morality that's higher than that is there you know, do we have, are we responsible? Um, we mentioned it even last month with a Christmas Carol, right? Like Scrooge, you know, is, is he the way he is because he had this hard life and so we should have some compassion on him. And 
you know, or is there, is there something else? Well, and I, I think even going back further than that, there's a case to be made for, um, it's almost as if that's a constrained and unconstrained vision perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, one Mm -hmm. says you're responsible and the other says society is responsible. Mm. Um, yeah, to some, to some degree, not absolutely, but and the nature versus nurture question has been around for a really long time. <laughs> Obviously, there's not um, one straightforward answer, but um, why do you think? Clearly, Nora is capable of more, mm-hmm. and she has done more. So she not only secured the loan. And hid it from her husband for years, but she's taken on side work and hidden that from him in order to make the payments. Mm-hmm. So if she were strictly a product and only shallow, then she never would have done those things. Right? If she had no self-initiative, if she had no capacity to think for herself, no ability to keep a secret, no ability to make sacrifices, then she wouldn't have done those things. And it was precisely those actions that she was most proud of in her whole life Mm -hmm. that nurtured her self-image. It wasn't being a mom, playing with her kids. It wasn't even like being there and helping her husband. It was it was this sacrifice. I think she kind of intermingled some of the secrecy of it with some of the nobleness of it. Like it made it more noble because it was secret, which I don't think is a necessary component for it to be just as noble. But so what clues does she give us into her own transformation? Because to me, And I said this in my review too, and I'd love to have you ladies help me or we can all together try to talk it through because to me, I feel like I'm presented with two different Nora's to me. Every time I read it, I feel like there's too big a gap. Um, Her transformation is too accelerated. It feels unnatural. Mm -hmm. It doesn't Mm -hmm. feel like she should, she could go from who she was at the beginning to who she was at the end, which is why I really wanted us to flesh out the best we could who she was at the beginning so that we can get into the meat of the things that she says at the end. Um, because I maybe I'm missing something that there he's doing a better job of bridging that gap than I think he is. But I felt that same way again this time yeah, through. And I did too. It's like, okay, wait, <laughs> wait, how did we get here? Yeah. Yeah. Suddenly she's full-blown mature with mature ideas and insights and deep connections and, 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 and moral frames of reference that she seems entirely incapable of like yesterday. Yeah. And so it's the question, you know, how did that happen? How How does she, how does she get there? Like, can we construct maybe what her we think her thought process might have been to get there or is it just like he's setting up an interesting story so that he can have his you know say what he wants to say at the end of the play and that's just basically what it is i had wondered a little bit if it was excuse me 
seeing um Wordstag, what's his name? Frogstad. Frogstad. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. She has interactions with him, but also kind of seeing his what other people think of him and his journey has an influence on mm. on her. It, it, you know, it's like we get little what th people say about other th other people and then they apply to our lives. Yeah. And then we realize, oh, but for me, I feel like she's kind of taking it to the extreme, to the other side um, of something like personal responsibility, right? She's yeah. saying, well, I personally responsible, so I'm going to go to the extreme and leave my family, right? Rather than just like <laughs> um, actually taking personal responsibility because he, um, <clears throat> Helmer is talking about um, about this situation with Krogstad and something shady he'd done in the past right mm -hmm. and and she's like will you she's trying to advocate for him because he is blackmailing her basically yeah blackmailing yeah. her yeah um, and he says many a man has been able to retrieve his character if he has openly confessed his fault and taken his punishment <clears throat> and so i wondered like did that contribute to her this idea like well i just need mm. my punishment is that i have to leave my family and go find myself right mm. um that you it plants these little ideas that 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 maybe are because she doesn't seem to have actual a, a great moral founding foundation that she takes it to this place that's not actually healthy mm -hmm. i think she kind of gets these um reality checks right the first one is like yeah. understanding that what she did was illegal like she didn't mm -hmm. yeah. she says that she didn't yeah. Yeah. know that it was illegal and so so now so now like she's starting to experience more consequences of her actions and so she gets kind of this reality check oh oh, what I did was, was, was really wrong. Like I could really get in trouble with this. And then, and then that conversation, that's the end of act one with Helmer that um, he talks about a little further on where you were, Kim, that, that um, almost everyone who has gone to the bad early in life has had a deceitful mother and it's this mm. mother's influence. Right. And mm. so she's that's like, that's right. I remember. Oh, that. wait, <clears throat> what a, and me, she right? is a chronic liar. I mean, and it's not just about this thing. It's, yeah. you know, she's, and I do think that one of, one of the, one of the subtle, like inferences in the play through Ibsen looks something like she has to lie. It's a survival tool. Like, see, mm, the, the lying that. isn't, the lying isn't morally bad. Well, I mean, you know, like, <laughs> Like, like with the, she with lies the... all the time, even when she doesn't have to. Like she lies to Christine, and she lie. I mean, she doesn't even, you know. Like I just kept writing down, oh, that's a lie, and that's a lie, and that's, um, and and he and he says to her, nor nor, would you be a party to that sort of thing to have any talk with a man like that and give him any sort of promise and to tell me a lie into the bargain? And she says, a lie. <laughs> And so, and then she like, like she flatters him. She flatters multiple people. And that's kind of a lie, you know, like there's no, there's no one who has such good taste as you. I mean, does she really believe her husband has better taste than any human being? 
you know, <laughs> or uh, he says, has anyone been here? And she says here, no. And she lies again. And so she just chronically, I mean, there's no reason she couldn't say Krogstad stopped by. Right. He's trying to get his job back. It's not like inconceivable that he would stop by for her husband. Like there's a million, you know, she just could have told the truth a lot of times to a lot of different people. And she just doesn't. And I think part of it is, see, she's this doll. She's this bird trapped in this cage and lying is her survival tool. And she's got to do it um, in order to get by. You know, she's got to flatter her husband in order to have a good marriage, in order for him to take care of her, blah, 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 you know. And I'm not denying that some of those things couldn't have some truth to them. And that sometimes, you know, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes maybe we need to tell a white lie, but. I like what you're saying, Lindsay, like it's making me think, okay, so she's, she's, she's having all these reality mm-hmm. checks. Mm-hmm. Well, and then, and you know, it continues and, and she starts to, to see more and more, you know, what's really going on. And, and um, she starts to see Helmer for kind of who he is. And for her, I think, cause I've been thinking a lot about this, like where, how did this happen? And there's this this kind of this big climax moment where she her expectation is that he would make the same kind of sacrifice that she has made for him. And he yeah. doesn't do it. And mm-hmm. it completely disillusions her. Yeah. 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 That he's not who she thought he was. And then she, you know, so so I do think that there has been a little bit of growth throughout the play. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to get her to to the point where she's at at the end but and i was thinking too like i think one of the important roles that christine plays is obviously as a foil for her it's interesting mm-hmm. though because like christine keeps warning her like you don't want my life like this isn't you know you should you should enjoy and appreciate <clears throat> what you've got and you've got children and i never had any and you've got all these blessings but but I think by the time we get to the end of the play, all Nora can see is that Christine is in, is independent. Mm-hmm. That she doesn't answer to anybody. That she has... There's like... Seems to be in Nora's mind something very no- noble. And, and I can see where she's coming from about the grind that Christine's been through. And how she's proven herself as a person that she's proven she can provide for herself and she can take care of other people and um, like financially. And, and I do feel like a big part of the feminist movement has really been wrapped up in financial independence um, Mm -hmm. that women have clamored for that and felt like that if they had more financial independence, it would solve a lot of their internal struggles and turmoil. And I'm just not sure that that's actually <laughs> been the case all the time but she has I, a, a point in the book where she was doing the copy work and it made her feel like a man right because she was doing oh, yeah. work yes. and it was like a man and that's um, right I forgot she said that <laughs> and of course well, that's what's I mean we dress like men they don't dress like us we do the jobs that you know the all the things you know it was it was women becoming more masculine um What's interesting too, and I know this because my old self did the author bio when I was doing all the research and I found this quote. (laughs) 
Um, he said late in life that he was not a feminist. He never had a feminist agenda and he wasn't trying to push for rights for women. Hmm. Um, but he felt like he had this, he had this one play where I guess, and I say this in the author bio that basically something that he did wasn't well received. And so then he did this other play where the, there's po- there's there's something poisoning the water in the town and he and this town crier comes in basically trying to rescue the town and and there's kind of this connection between himself as kind of the town crier in other words the the prophet or the or the one that you know the the enlightened one that wakens that wakens people to the horrible circumstances that they're in i mean clearly he disagrees with the law you know, he thinks that it's immoral to have laws that don't allow people to do moral things. And that's mm-hmm. a conundrum. That's, that's, that's tough, you know, muddy water to, to swim through. But, um, so I can see how she's looking around, like, this is the life that Christina's had, and this is what she's capable of. And I've never proven to myself that I'm capable of those things. And, I've been everybody else's plaything, and my children don't respect me and my husband doesn't even trust me to raise my own children and the nurse is better qualified than me and um and I've done something illegal anyway and my husband is just a total jerk who won't stand up for me you know he doesn't really care about me nor does he know me at all this isn't really a marriage we don't really have a relationship so well yeah. I, I think it it's interesting cuz it goes back to what I had said before, like this interplay that we have between society's influence on our on us and our, you know, there's this intersection between our personal responsibility and the influence of society, right? Yeah. And we live in societies and we can work to change those things that are actually wrong, like you're saying, that that are laws that are hurtful to people or things like that, like we should definitely work towards those things. But oftentimes those changes are gradual. And so what do we do about it? Right. We're still stuck in the society that we're in. Mm -hmm. And so the only thing we can actually do is to look at ourselves and say, how can I be the best person within this framework Mm -hmm. that is unfortunate that I live in? But how can I still grow and change and become in a meaningful way? Um, mm-hmm. And part, you know, that's just goes mm-hmm. back to the personal responsibility too, because it is really quite nuanced. And mm-hmm. it, there are always going to be things in a society that may not look like they should or whatever, right? So. Yeah because human nature because we're constrained by our nature right like I I think I think she she doesn't see too maybe you know Audrey you were saying she sees Christine as you know financially independent and having Mm -hmm. all these things that she wants but Mm -hmm. in in reality Christine is principle centered Mm. and Nora is not why do you say that that is why huh why do you say that because it's because Christine has has gone she's had hard things too right yeah but she's gone about them the right ways she hasn't broken laws she's she's worked she's taken responsibility um she recognizes that 
what actually needs to happen is that Nora and Helmer need to talk. They need to get this deceit out in the open mm-hmm. um, and communicate and be honest true. with each That's other. That's right. That's right. right. She refuses to cover. That's right. Uh, in the end, I, I I just think Christine she says a lot of good things. I it it's good to have somebody to work for, and it's good to work, and it's good to you know. That's she, right. She keeps touting. <laughs> I mean, she keeps. She keeps showing Nora like what she's in for with this loneliness path that she's choosing. Like she's the foil that keeps saying, look, you want to have somebody to sacrifice and work for. And mm-hmm. you want to, you know, I want the life that you have. And, mm-hmm. but that's a great point because it's so funny in our culture, like, like so indoctrinated to not say certain things a certain way. And this is going to sound callous, but here's what I think. I think that Nora, I don't know. You guys can tell me if you think I'm wrong. I feel like the way that Nora tried to solve the problem with her husband's health was just indicative of the way that Nora tries to solve problems. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a shortcut way. It wasn't the way. only way. Right. There was other ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's a shortcut way. So like, instead of- It's an unconstrained of, way. Ugh. It's an unconstrained solution. Why do you say that? Because she's trying to create a solution that bypasses all the principles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what, but what I was, yeah. So sorry. what I was, th- no, you're right. But what I was thinking is like, because she, um, she not only gets a loan, and she forges her father's signature. Um, and she hides it from her husband. But like getting in debt is often like the easy thing to do. Okay, but even given that that was the only way, um, then she's not even current on the payments. And and she's not like she brought in work and she worked last Christmas, but I don't know. Like there's like an avoidance factor with her. It's like part of the lying mindset. It's like, I'll just cut corners and it'll be fine. Like I'm a doll and I'm taken care of and everybody else always kinds of, and and I can see what she's saying in terms of I've got to not have a safety net, like not having a safety net might be a really good thing for me. So I'm not even like going to take money for you. So maybe that's part of what she's thinking, but I just feel like, and maybe that's what she's trying to do at the end is not cut corners, but of course she's blowing off major responsibilities that she's signed up for in the meantime. It's like, it's like, she feels like the natural law that she's not aware of, right? Because she doesn't know. And there is a truth there that like, we do need to be educated. We do need to know about these things. Right. Yeah. But she's like, but, but you know, natural law doesn't apply to me. I can, I can, I can make the, I can create these solutions, whether it's, you know, getting this, just forging a signature to get this loan or whatever, um, abdicating all of my responsibilities to home and family or, you know, even suicide. (laughs) I just, the the natural law doesn't apply to me. It's all about intentions. And that's, uh, if we're going to go back to the conflict Mm, of visions and constrained and unconstrained, the unconstrained vision is all about, it's, it's the intention that mattered oh well I did it because I love That's him right I'm trying to save mm-hmm. his life so it doesn't matter what I do as long as my as my intentions were good that's right 
That's right. It, it, <clears throat> excuse me. It reminds me a little bit of Audrey and I um, read Frankenstein recently and he creates the monster in total secrecy, right? And for himself feels like that he has these great intentions and is going to um, follow these passions that he thinks are good and all these things. And it just creates, you know, a horrible thing. And I, one of the things that really stood out with me was just that he really you know, when you do things in secrecy, it just creates a, a a long chain of other problems that come up because we're not meant to hide in the dark, right? We're not meant to, yeah. to do that. To, we're, we need to be transparent. And that's where she never was from the beginning. She could it's easily true. say, look, you're dying to her husband. Yeah. We need to do something about it. And if you're too prideful not to take money, then I need to go get a job or I need to do something and take instead of hiding and doing what was really like her intention was noble, right? It was good to try to save her husband. She was making this huge sacrifice, but you can't sacrifice one principle for another. Yeah. Yeah. She's sacrificing the wrong things in the wrong ways. Yeah. Right. Right. And so she's just in secrecy and then, and then it just creates this chain of events yeah. that she can't ever take responsibility because she initially did it in the wrong way and deny this sacrifice is actually a true principle, but you can't deny it for other things that are good, especially in a marriage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then just like Dr. Frankenstein, right? Like you have to take responsibility for what mm-hmm. you create. Mm-hmm. Right. And it doesn't mean just, um, dying suicide or leaving like we have to take responsibility for what we create um that is what's going to make us happy well um we read this this article in level two of the mission driven mom academy called the science of justice by lysander spooner mm. and and here i think is the principle that is one of the main principles that's coming to play in this he says Both the natural instincts and the collective wisdom of the human race have acknowledged and prescribed as an indispensable condition obedience to this one only universal obligation that each should live honestly towards every other. Mm. He's saying that living honestly is the foundation Mm. of justice and freedom and happiness. Well, and ultimately, like Frankenstein, who his family paid the ultimate cost with their life. Yes. So will Nora's family not, they will not die, but the children will suffer and her husband will suffer um, in ways that she can't know. And there's no reason to believe that she still can't be connected to her children or things like that and still go and figure out what she needs to figure out for herself. Right. That's oh. the lie, right? Yeah. <laughs> that that we yeah. have to leave our and, and, and Helmer calls them sacred duties Yeah, mm-hmm. to find ourselves. And like, we do need to find ourselves, right? But like, it's not just leaving everything. You have to take responsibility for what you created and mm-hmm. find yourself, right? Like, <laughs> you can do it's it. It's a hard thing. At the same I know. time. It, yeah, it is. it's true. You can, but it's hard. And it, it, the, I feel like often society tells us it's one or the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's the real, I think, um, you know, what Imsen's trying to do is in terms of, you know, kind of the big picture in, in, in much of his work, which is a great thing to do. And that is to just hold a mirror up to life. I mean, that, that's why, that's why Shakespeare was so important. That's why Ibsen is so important is he's, you know, he's, he's turning the mirror on us and saying, look at this situation. And he's creating a moral conundrum. I mean, the greatest works in history are great, uh, are, speak to many generations of people because of the moral conundrums. I mean, that's what Huck Finn is all about, right? The moral conundrum that, that <laughs> Huck Finn is in. Um, you know, that's, that's why Uncle Tom's Cabin had such a profound impact because she presented moral conundrums that we, you know, we had to look at and face and find solutions for. But, and I think this is really the crux maybe of what you're trying to say, Lindsay, is that in the end, once, once that, that moral dichotomy or, or issue is raised, Ibsen is giving us a, um, whoops, how do I take that hand off? lower my hand uh once that is brought up he gives us a solution that is an unconstrained solution Mm -hmm. there's nothing i mean everyone's gonna notice oh wait yes there's yeah there's a problem like she can't and the reason that she can't take out a loan without her husband's permission is because she has no income like there is a grounded economic reason for that, <laughs> that she's either borrowing with her dad or with someone else that actually has an income. If she had a job, she could have gotten a loan, right? And so it was probably in a society where if she was married, she couldn't have a job. And that was why, because she was supposed to be taking care of her children. But instead she relegated that responsibility to the nursemaid. She's the one that chose not to be a mom. She's the one that chose just to play with her children. And this little dance that she has going on with her husband, she participates in because she chooses to flatter and be false. She chooses to use her female wiles to get her way. It's working for her too. I mean, one of the things that's bothersome for me with with her, her speech at the end is that she presents this as if the problem is all out there and everybody else's fault. And it seems noble to the person watching or reading because it's like oh now okay she's taking responsibility that's marvelous good on her but the truth is she's still not she didn't take responsibility to have a great marriage before nor is she now she didn't take responsibility to be a great mom nor is she now she could have been plenty millions of human beings have been raised by awful addictive abusive (laughs) dysfunctional parents and decided to make things different in their own lives, decided to show up for their own children and be parents. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's like, part of me is like, yeah, getting the loan, it's kind of nice. Doing some work to pay back a little bit of the loan is kind of nice. But at the end of the day, she's participating in all the dysfunctional relationships. And to say that she doesn't, she's literate. She can pick up a book. She can decide to be a lifelong learner. She can decide to change herself, but it was working for her. She's getting her way and she's always gotten her way. And now she's getting her way again. She's walking out on her family and getting what she wants. Because why? Because her husband wasn't who she thought he was. And he's not showing up for her in the way she wants him to because their little song and dance isn't working anymore because he's going to call the shots. But, you know, 
I mean, there is something honorable in her husband in terms of he keeps showing up for the family. Like he keeps going to work and bringing home the money and making sure everybody has a roof over their heads. And yeah, he's condescending. It was partly the culture. He needs to change. And this is, this is the other thing that really bothered me at the end is, you know, he actually says first he throws her under the bus because he's, (laughs) he's scared out of his mind. And he says all this stuff that he takes back and he doesn't really mean. Um, and he he cites this principle, which frankly, he says, no man would sacrifice his honor for the one he loves. And she says, it's a thing hundreds of thousands of women have done. Which well, she has done. She sacrificed, her, sacrificed honor? her honor for him. Well, right? I, she, I, yeah, she <laughs> i mean no one even knew about the loan until now i mean it you know i don't know that she sacrificed her honor she sacrificed herself that's how she sees herself but the point is a little further down he says i have it in me to become a different man mm-hmm. so I can ibsen, ibsen even takes us to the point where helmer's offering to to try like Maybe she needs to like, you know, maybe if he just keeps being this monster, she needs to say, okay, well, I need a divorce. We'll figure out the kids. But she's walking away from all of it. And even after he says that, you know, he says, um, then he he begs her. He's like, couldn't we figure this out someday? Well, I don't know. I can't make any promises. We need freedom on both sides. Well, let me help you if you're in want. Can I give you some money? Like, he shows up in all the ways you would want your husband to show up if things had just totally spiraled out of control and you were completely disillusioned and disappointed. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can, maybe you say these kinds of things and you walk away and then you come back tomorrow or in a week or two or whatever, that's fine. But, but the resolve that, you know, he says, let me help if, if you are in one. And she says, no, I can receive nothing from a stranger. <laughs> and then he says, can I never be anything more than a stranger? Um, and then she says the most wonderful thing of all would have to happen. So he'd have to sacrifice himself for her. And I guess, you know, in her mind, he's like, well, he's already said he won't sacrifice his honor, blah, 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 blah. Um, but in his mind, it's like, what kind of a man, what kind of an example, what kind of a husband and father would I be if I threw my principles out the door? So he doesn't have all the answers to this problem that they're facing and he doesn't know how to handle it. He just knows he wants to remain a man of principle, but try to figure something out. And she just blows it off, doesn't even give it any merit and isn't even willing to, to even have a conversation about that. And so for me, that's kind of the, the last kind of thing is like, really? Like, you're not even going to have a conversation about what he might do to be different? I, I think one of the, yes, I mean, I think that's a, it's a good point. You know, she finally takes it to the extreme and there's no changing her mind. Right. Yeah. I I think one of the hard things for her, um, is that it doesn't seem that she's ever had any of these things modeled for her. Yeah. She talks about living with her father, but a mom is never mentioned. Yeah. Um, it seems like that her closest friend is the Dr. Rank, which is a man. Yeah. And, outside of Christine, who she hasn't had contact with in over 10 years, 
it doesn't seem like there's a lot of women in her life yeah. that can actually model some of these good behaviors, even within the restrictions of the society, because you know, they're there, right? Yeah. And so it's hard for, I think so often we, I mean, it just helps me have a little bit of compassion for her, you know, I sure. mean, I think we can get there without, without having that modeled. But I do think that, um, that is probably severely lacking in her life. And when we kind of separate ourselves from, I, I, I think that's why it's true that we have communities and networks of people and friends so that we can see some of these things modeled and learn from others um in a meaningful way yeah because she didn't she didn't have that at all yeah and so even when her husband's saying to her hey i'm going to change i'm going to change she's never seen that in such a way and even christine goes to Korgstad and and decides to be with him even knowing his faults even knowing yeah of his uh what what did what did Helmer call him like his disease moral character or something? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because Christine can see that he's willing to he's trying to change right yeah. he's trying to do something different yeah and um, but Christine does that without Nora's knowledge. I mean, if Nora went to her and told her like this is what I'm doing, maybe Chris Nora Christine told Nora that that maybe Nora would be more likely to be like oh even with um, Helmer faults I can still try to make things work out right that's true um but it just wasn't it wasn't there for her to see it wasn't modeled in any way it's true and it might be that she just doesn't trust herself that if she sticks around Mm -hmm. she'll fall back into her old patterns and she'll be the person that she was and she's convinced herself that the only way to be someone different is to be completely disconnected um but the fundamental message outside of the the character struggles and um and 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 the justifications for Nora, which are clearly there. Obviously, there's there's reasons why she's doing what she's doing. The message that we're left with is that the individual is more important um, than any other obligation. And it's hard because no one can make of me anything. I have to do it for myself. So there's a lot of, it resonates, right? Like, oh, I've got to show up for myself. I've got to make something of myself. I've got to, I can only take care of me. I'm my first primary moral obligation. And it it flies in the face of traditional cultures around the world because mothers all over the world choose their children above themselves every day. So the way that they they actually live out their lives speaks to something, a different moral framework than the one that, that Ibsen is championing here, which is also kind of interesting, but. Well, for me, that was kind of, especially in their last, um, her and Helmer's last uh, conversation. Mm-hmm. One of the things that stood out to me was that she's breaking the first law of life mission, love of God, <laughs> you know, like he has this conversation, like, have you no religion? Have you no moral founding essentially? Cause he's like, how could someone, if they have a moral founding, would leave their children, especially, yeah. right? Yeah. And that she is like breaking this huge, she was, you know, she's kind of like, I don't know. I don't know what I believe in anymore. And I'm going to see if I can make out who is right, the world or me, you know? And so, you know, he asks her, like, I suppose you have some moral sense. And he says, I think you might have none, you know? <laughs> yeah. There, that, and that kind of stood out to me as that, when you, you know, she's breaking that law, the love of God and that what that does to your conscience and what you're willing to mm. sacrifice and do 
in the ter- in the name of this individuality like you're talking yeah. about mm-hmm. because you're not putting this moral foundation first you've got to be completely emancipated from everything mm-hmm. um on that note i i have some notes on this page um, about the connection between what's happening on these pages and what's happening today how this language almost word for word is everyday language today and it was radical 150 years ago when these were written mm. um it flew in the face of 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 all of the culture of its time so she says i only know that it is necessary for me and he says are you going to neglect your sacred duties and she said um i have other duties just as sacred what are those duties duties to myself so what they're saying, what he's saying here is that the old customs and the old ways, and in our, what we would say here is the natural moral law is one of those big obstacles in her way, should not prevent her from throwing off her responsibilities if in her estimation they inhibit her growth. That's just mainstream thinking today. That's just how we think. Um and then like you were saying, no religion, you know, um, I don't know what religion is. So I don't even know what this moral lie is. I don't even know what my obligations are. And she claims complete ignorance in order to just go figure it out on her own. So then she says, um, I must think things over for myself and get to understand them. And then she says, I will see if what the clergyman said is true or at all events, if it is true for, for me. <laughs> so profound, such a pro, such a radical idea that, that, that this foundation of, of, of tr- goodness, truth, and beauty that has been part of all cultures, as far as we have written record might not be true for you. Um, it might just be true for some people. Such a radical idea. Um, if religion cannot lead you aright, let me try and awaken your conscience. So, um, so what Ibsen is doing is he's trying, Ibsen is appealing to all the common tools or guides. She talks about how um, she doesn't know what's in books. So self-education and learning, uh, tradition, the old ways, cultures, religion, conscience, and even the next one is law. Um, I only know that you and I look at it in quite a different light. I am learning too that the law is quite another thing from what I supposed, but I find it impossible to convince myself that the law is right. And so this is kind of the last bit of um, convention none of the conventional sources of truth can be trusted we must look to ourselves exclusively that's the key fundamental message and takeaway here that ibsen is really driving home everything that could be an outside source of truth for her she throws away she doesn't want to look to books or tradition or history or the moral law or religion or convention or even she doesn't even know what her conscience might speak to her Uh, She doesn't even think that the law is going to help her out. She's going to go away and figure it out for herself. 
And that has never for any human ever been the pathway to enlightenment, to be holed <laughs> off entirely on their own without any outside influence or resources or aid. Of course, we want to listen to our common sense. Of course, we want to be in tune with our conscience. But like we talk about, and I have in the library videos on, you know, the divine conscience and how it must be educated and how we must sculpt and nurture our conscience so that it will speak to us properly. Um, uh, Audrey, can I read? I just happened to be reading from Andrew Clavin's The Truth and the Beauty yesterday. Yeah. And yeah. he taught, there's a section where he's talking about kind of like this idea and he's referring to Shakespeare's Macbeth. Oh, okay. And he's talking about um, how, she, you know, Mac Lady Macbeth just wants her husband to be on the throne. And she's basically pushing him to murder all these people so that he can be on the throne. And, and she can be the queen. <laughs> right. So uh, let me just read a quick quote here. Macbeth yeah. and his lady chose to unexperience the moral order to sever their connection with the logos and redefine morality from God's good to their own desires. For my own good, Macbeth says, all causes shall give way. Lady Macbeth cannot quite extinguish her inner awareness of God's truth or her conscience. After engineering a spat of murder, she goes mad trying to wash an imaginary spot of blood from her hand. But something dip different happens to Macbeth. In pulling away from God's meaning, he finds that he is left with no meaning at all. And I, I really thought that that connected to this because yeah. she is denying her conscience. And Macbeth says, for my own good, everything shall go away for my own good. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, when we deny this foundational moral law, like you're saying that, you know, it causes these issues, you know, Lady Macbeth goes mad and um, Macbeth loses all meaning and purpose and direction and everything in his life. And yeah even though we don't see that with Nora, it's hard to believe that that might not be the path. Yeah. That something like that could happen. He, he leaves us on this note of she's free. Yeah. She's free. She's emancipated, baby. right? And, and, but, and she, so we don't see the consequences, right? Mm -hmm. and, and in reality, she's not, she's less free even than she was before. Who's free? Uh, Christina's free. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's that it's this and, you know, and the culture has taken mm -hmm. this and and uh, uh, such a tricky book because there are so many half truths yeah. that if you that if you don't, you know, we've brought in Frankenstein and Huck Finn and Macbeth. And, you know, if you if you mm -hmm. haven't try to educate your conscience, you know, with some mm -hmm. of these great ideas, you, you might not know, you might look at this book and, 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 and yeah. just say, yes, she's free. That's what I want, you know? And yeah. it, so it's such a subtle and tricky book in that way. Mm -hmm. It's interesting too, because what we see with Christine is an honest person. She's always honest. She's always open and transparent, even though she might not be happy. She's at peace. And she's worked within the confines of the structure, you know, she's married the guy that would help her family and it still didn't even work out. And so she still had to work and take care of them. And she's choosing the guy who's flawed and has issues, but she's actually at peace with her decision. She's consciously choosing them mm -hmm. and, and feels that they will be best for her. And what Norris, you know, 
what Ibsen wants to present to us is a, is a scenario where society is 100% at fault. And Nora is simply a product of her environment. And the only way for her to be truly emancipated is to throw off the shackles of her society and remake herself anew in whatever image she so chooses. And it is unbelievable to be here in 20, almost the end of 2023 and going into 2024 and to see that this frame of reference and mindset is, has established itself in our culture. Well, and we're a culture that, of victims. And so it resonates with us because yeah. we want somebody to blame and we want to, to not take the responsibility. We don't want the consequences. We want something to rescue us, right? And yeah. so it resonates in a culture that's saturated with, with this victim mentality. You don't have to answer. Uh, I'll, I'll, you can, um, I, I'll end this one last thing. If there's anything else you want, ladies want to say, uh, reminds me of my, my son messaged me recently. We were texting and he said, he said, I think there's two kinds of, um, I think people sit on two sides of a fence basically, or there's two different types, uh, two different ways that people interact with the God idea or the religion idea or the idea of the eternal. He said, you know, there's the group of people that say there is a God and there is an afterlife and, and, and I really matter and what I do really matters and where we're going matters. And the people that say, you know, actually none of it matters. It's all evolution. I don't really matter. My choices don't really matter. There isn't anything after this life. And um, and it's a very simplistic model, but when you, when you have the mindset that, that it doesn't matter, there's nothing and no one to be accountable to. It's like a relief. It kind of goes back to what you were saying with Lindsay. And this was kind of his point was, I can kind of see why people gravitate to the other side because when you've got God and meaning, you've got a whole load of responsibility on your shoulders. And I think that what Imsen is trying to do is have Nora be a model for us because look how much responsibility she's actually taking on. She's willing to take on the biggest responsibility of all, and that is herself. And how many of you take on the full responsibility of yourself <laughs> and shoulder that burden? And walk away from everything else in order to truly, what if we all just took total and complete responsibility of ourselves? But there's something about not being accountable to a husband or the traditions or the law or the religion or her children that is emancipating and that alleviates responsibility and that allows her to, you know, to, to not, I don't know, just that whole idea of, I don't have to answer to anybody I just have to answer to myself. That would be nice, but um, no civilization is ever built that way. You know, there, there's no way to actually have a society where people only answer to themselves. Yeah. It's an illusion. And the longer we chase it, the more our civilization is going to erode. Yeah. Responsibility without duty. It doesn't work in the long run. Yeah. <laughs> so she might take care of herself, but she's leaving, like you said earlier, the creations, her creations to themselves. Any other thoughts, insights, quotes, questions you want to share before we end? No. Nope. Good. Awesome. That was a fantastic discussion. I hope you, uh, all those listening or watching, will pick it up. Um, share with us your insights. If you'd like to come to the library, we'll have a 
reading a discussion guide for you, read it with your book club or discuss it with us in the community, uh, whatever you might want to do. But hopefully this discussion has been helpful for you and you can really dig into these are these are culturally culturally relevant ideas. So hopefully they help you make sense of many other things going on in the world around you. Thanks for joining us today.